This says, whoa, hey. This, yeah, here we go. All right, so low battery. Oh, it says on. All right, we're going to just do it. Let's go. All right, hey. Good morning. I'm so glad to be back. Um, this is my third time with you guys this summer. Um, if you don't know, the, the lead pastor of this campus, if it's your first day or first time visiting with us, um, he's on sabbatical right now, Luke, Luke, Luke Thomas. He's on sabbatical, um, been resting up um, just uh, for a season of rest for him. And um, I'm, I'm excited to be able to come back and preach to you guys. So um, be praying for Luke. He will be back, I believe, the first week in September. So he's coming to the end of that. And I'm excited to get to see him. I, I texted him the other day. I was on Facebook. And I saw a picture of a surveillance video of somebody who's breaking into a car. And it totally looked like him. I'm not even playing. Like, I was like, dude, what are you doing? So I texted him on a sabbatical. I was, like, I was like, are you breaking in cars, bro? Is this you? Like, what are you doing right now? And he's like, no, that guy can't look. He can't even wear pants like I wear. He looks like a weirdo. I was like, bro, I miss you so much. I'm seeing you in surveillance videos. Like, that's how much I miss him. So just uh, be praying for him. Um, again, my name's Chris. I, I lead um, our, our West Campus that meets out at D1 in Hardin Valley. Um, so those guys are over there this morning worshiping Jesus, um, getting pumped this morning. We pray for you guys often, so pray for us. Um, we, we love you guys. It's been, a, it's been a good season. And so I'm excited to be here today. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue on. I, I preached a couple, of, a couple of times, like I said, and we've been kind of going through this mini-series. Again, best sermon ever, shooting for 33% again today because I've got three chances to do this. So uh, we are going to continue on in Genesis. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis and put your thumb there, we're going to be there for a little bit. But just to give you a little bit of backstory um, about where I come from, I was six, seven years ago, I was on staff with a rather, rather large church in Midland, Texas. And so um, about 2,500 people, staff of 75. And so I was the communications director there. Um, loved my job, loved what I did, loved my team. I oversaw a team of about five or six people. Um, and it, it was amazing. It was awesome. God grew me a ton there. And, and in the middle of that, he was like, hey, listen, um, I'm going to introduce you to this weirdo named Luke Thomas, right, your pastor. Um, and Luke began to talk about church planting. Right? And, I, and I didn't know what that was. Like, I wasn't even familiar with the concept. The idea of church planting was foreign to me. Um, but he was like, listen, he was sitting on my couch. We were drinking a Corona. And he's like, you are going to plant churches. And I said, I have no idea what that even means. And so we had this conversation, right? So God began to do something in my heart for church planting. I really wasn't clear or sure what was going on. I just knew that God was moving and massaging my heart towards this thing called church planting. Well, as you could tell, that created a little bit of an issue with my job, right? Because I worked for a different church and who wasn't telling me I was going to plant churches. So I, I started down this path of discovering what church planting was, discovering what legacy was, what you guys were, who you were, right, from afar, from Texas. And, and God began to just kind of change me a little bit and, and mold my heart. But in the middle of that, there was a ton of fear. Everybody say fear. Here. Now say amen, <laughs> right? And I was scared. I mean, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know where we were going to live. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, what was God going to do in the middle of that? And God started blowing up my world. Like, we sold everything we owned. Some of you know the story. We sold everything we owned. We kept one car, a one-car garage storage unit for our stuff, which is our personal belongings. We sold our house we moved, our, we moved our two kids and a, and a Great Dane into 324 square feet fifth wheel, right? 
And we were going to drag that thing around the country and preach to campgrounds. That was going to be my, my ministry, right, my mission, quote, unquote, church planning. But I was scared to death. I didn't know how to step out. I didn't know what that looked like. And so one of the pastors at the church I was on staff with pulled me aside, and, and everybody thought it was weird. He used to meet in this place called Taco Villa. If you know what Taco Villa is, say amen. All right, yeah, my Texas peeps know what Taco Villa is. So he's in Taco Villa, first booth on the left, and he's like, listen, I go there, I pray every Friday, and Jesus shows up. So if you need something, holler at me on Friday in my booth, Jesus is there. So I was like, listen, I'm scared to death. I don't know what to do, where to go. So I was like, I'm going to Taco Villa on Friday morning, and I'm going to see if Jesus is there. So I show up, this pastor's sitting there, we start talking. Um, he's still a very, very uh, close friend, even today. And uh, he just looks at me, and he, and he hears me, and I'm, I'm all over the place. And he's like, he just looks me dead in the face, and he says this. He says, I got one question. Like, we've been talking for like 30 minutes. You've been rambling on about what you're afraid of, and you don't know what's going on. I got one question. And I was like, all right, hit me. He said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Like, if you weren't afraid, if you weren't, anything you just said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I love to ask people that question now. It's like my favorite question to ask, right? Because we get crazy, don't we? What would I do if I wasn't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Right? So this morning, as we, as we, as we talk about fear, right, and what we're afraid of, and we get real this morning, my, my plan, my hope is that you get real with yourself, not with me necessarily, but with yourself, right? How many of you would say that fear has been a major part of your life? Raise your hand and keep your hand in the air. Been a major part of your life. Have, have marked your life in some way. Raise your hand, right? Has marked your life. Keep them up. Has scarred you in some way, right? Everybody's got their hands down as a liar, right? Fear is, you've all had it, right? It might look different. It might smell different. It might sound different, right? But you've all experienced fear on some level. We can't escape it. Like, like the meter is all over the place, but you've felt it, you've seen it, you've wrestled with it, you've tasted it, right? Like it, it's there, it's, 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 it's staunch, it stinks, it's around you. Take a moment and list something out. I don't care if you get your phone, you got something to write in. Take a moment and I want you to write down something you're afraid of. Something you're fearful about. Right now, write it down. Be honest with yourself. Type it out on your phone. It's going to come in handy at the end. So I want you to be honest with yourself. Like, like, here's some questions to consider. What can't you control? Right? If you think, if I, there's one thing I can't control, you're afraid. Write that down. What do you feel like you're failing? I asked you last week, do you feel like a failure? Like shame, like guilt, like you feel those things. What are you afraid that you're failing at? What's uncomfortable to you? Right? These are all things to consider. What's not going your way? These are all things that plague us. Bills you can't pay, debt you owe, job loss, job changes, marriages, or the lack thereof. Right? Kids. Don't even get me started. Right? Or lack thereof. These are all things, and, and probably just, not, we're not even breaking the surface on what we're afraid of. The bigger question is this, what has rule and reign over your heart? Rule and reign. Like what is controlling you? Flip over to Genesis 1. Let's get into some, let's get into some Bible this morning, right? Genesis 1, let's talk about it. 
Genesis 1, verse 28. We're going there first. I know I told you Genesis 3, but we're going to Genesis 1, 28. Check this out. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is God's good and right design for the world. Right? This is his good and right design before hell literally broke loose. Right? This is it. This is its charge he gives to humans. Now flip over to Genesis 3, 19. So let that be your, your, your lens as we read Genesis 3.19. Things change a bit, right? We all know this story. Things change a bit. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face, your face, you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So things have changed a bit, right? That's why context is important. Because things have changed in, this, in these verses, in these chapters. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Like dust to dust. Like it doesn't get much real than that. They have never known what death is. Now all of a sudden, death is among us, right? So imagine hearing that. This would be the equivalent of you finding out or hearing of a loved one that's been, been diagnosed with, with the disease that's going to take their life. Right? That's the weight. Imagine the weight of that. Right? This created a bit of a no parking zone for me when it comes to finding peace. When I read that. I'm like, there's no peace for me in that because it means I'm going to die. Right? Do you struggle with that? Like all the things I'm going to miss? Let's just be real. Can we be real this morning? I mean, we, we struggle with that, right? We, 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 our thoughts become fixated, right, on our avoidance dance with the grave like that's the end I don't want to go there I don't I don't want it to end right doesn't get much more real than dust to dust you feel me so we have to walk in the valley of the shadow of death to get there like we've got to go through that to get there so you're going to say things this morning as I keep going you're going to start to say things like Yo, hey, hey, hey don't go there don't touch that don't say that that's private don't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that this morning. Right? So what is your natural response to fear? What is your, think about it. What is your natural response to fear? When we become afraid, what do we do? Run. Flip over. Good answer. Flip over to three, or flip back, just Genesis 3, verse 8. Couple, couple verses back. Here's where our main text coming from this morning. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So hell's literally broken loose. Sin is among the garden. Adam is aware and hides himself from the God creator of the universe. He is naked and afraid. He is afraid. He is, he is fearful. And his natural response 
which we all have, it's hardwired into your DNA, is to hide. Right? It's to run. It's to, it's to cover himself, to hide behind something. So let's, let's talk about hiding for a moment. Right? How many of you hide in your feelings? Like everything's fine. I'm good. I'm good. I see some smiles. I love it when people start kind of grinning. Right? It's my favorite. Right? What about hiding in things? Like, like if I buy this, I'll feel better about myself. Right? And it, and it looks good, so, so, so nobody, will, nobody will question it, right? Here's my thing. I hide in my sleep. Like when I'm afraid, I want to take a nap. Anybody else with me? Is that weird? They want to just like take, like, if I just go take a nap, then I'm not thinking about it. Here's what's funny about that, though. When I actually go to, try to go to sleep at night, I can't go to sleep. But you put me on a couch at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, with a Paw Patrol on or something, I'm out. And I got no cares in the world. Right? I'll even, I even know which movies to watch that'll put me to sleep because I've seen them a hundred times. Right? So I just turn on some tunes or something and I'm out. Right? I love to go to sleep. So, so if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid of what others will see so we hide. Right? We're afraid that others will see, see something so we, we hide. We're afraid of what we will see. More importantly, what God sees. This is Adam's problem is. Right? We do the exact same thing. Like seriously, to this day, like being transparent this morning, to this day, I'll cover my face at night just so the boogeyman won't get me. I still do that as an adult. If you do that, say amen. Come on. Yeah, I need some help, right? We cover, we cover our face, right? I don't know about you, but the monsters under my bed are still there. They're just bigger. They look different. The ones in my closet are just bigger. They look different, but they're still there. Right, so I hide my face. When I'm unhealthy, you can't convince me I don't need to hide from them or anything else. When I'm not walking, I'm not locked arms in community with my brothers and sisters, when I'm not pouring my heart out in, in service to the church, when I'm not reaching people or talking to people about Jesus, I will hide, I will run, I will hide myself to avoid those fears. But when I do this, I'm placing, I'm literally placing value, you do it too, placing value on something um, over God or something tangible, right, or, or, or over here, right, and, and, and totally dismissing the fact of who God's called me to be or called me to, right? I begin to ignore those things. I begin to retreat and pull away from community, right? Anybody with me this morning? Right? I don't want to burden it, Lord. I don't want to sit in the emotional pain. Like, I don't want to be in pain. I run from pain. But here's, here's what I get from this text today. This is the big idea. If you don't leave here, leave here with this. Nothing yields itself without a fight. Right? Like, weeds in your yard don't yield themselves without a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got crabgrass out of control. Where's me out? You pull it, try to kill it. It's not going away. It's a fight. Right? And so, we have to fight. And I'm not telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because that doesn't work, right? We have to fight. We have to lock arms with the Lord. We have to lock arms with our brothers and sisters. We have to learn how to fight in fear. Our biggest pitfall as humans, in my opinion, is we place more value on certain things, and in return, the more fear begins to rule and reign over those things and over our heart. You follow me? 
Like we start putting value on things we shouldn't put value on, and then fear begins to rule our lives. We begin to make decisions out of fear. Has anybody ever made a decision out of fear? And look back and been like, whoops. Probably shouldn't have done that. Let's talk about money for a second. Right? Everybody's like, oh, here it comes. Right? Money's the root of all evil. I love this lady, man. She is on it. She's ahead of me. That's right. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money. That's knowing your Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. So when I create value in money, right, when I begin to place literal value in money, when it becomes prevalent and superior in my life, and I make it my God, or I serve it, and it doesn't serve me, it's the root of evil, not in and of itself. But don't think I don't place a lot of value in money when the first of the month comes. Right? Like anybody been in here with a negative checking account? Right? Or some overdraft fees? Right? We do this. I mean, don't you lose sleep over how much is there or is not there? Like I know people, if they don't got 10 grand in their checking account, they're freaking out. I'm like, if I don't have like 15 bucks, I'm like worried. You know what I mean? You know people like this. We all have our thresholds. Right, how much is there, how much is not there, amen? Right, we do this, right? Don't we, don't we plan and scheme a lifetime only to not take it with us, right? We build these kingdoms only, only to not take it with us. Well, well Chris, I owe my, my kids a legacy. No, you don't. You owe them a spiritual legacy. So we have to stop looking at our bank accounts and pick up our Bibles and lead our children. Like, I'm not paying for my kids' college. They want that education, they can pay for it. I'm more concerned about their, their spiritual knowledge, their spiritual education, right? And I don't say that to boast or brag. I say that to say, listen, our priorities are out of order. The priorities are out of order. How about approval? We talk, I talk about this every single time because it's my thing. Approval is my heroin, right? That's my drug, you want to talk about an opiate crisis? I got an opiate crisis in my own house. It's my approval of everybody and everything that comes in contact with me. Even you this morning, right? Said right there and prayed on the way here. Listen to a song. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? I don't believe in myself, but I had to, I had to coach myself. I had to fight that out of me this morning before arriving here. And here's a little secret. Your pastor does it too. He may not say it, but he struggles with it as well. This is what we struggle, right? Like my only options are I've got to make it or make it. Anybody else feel that way? Those are my only options. I've either got to make it or I've got to make it. There's no other options. Failure is not an option. That's my life. So understand when the value of something increases, it begins to matter more to us, and I place value in people's reactions to my personality, right? I, I place value in, in, in those things. Am I funny enough? Am I being serious enough? Did I not use the correct word? How are they seeing me? Like, it's exhausting. Like, I'm exhausted. Are you exhausted? You're just tired of worrying? Tired of being afraid? What about kids? Right? If you have kids, 
Isn't it your job to care for them, shape them, instruct them? Right? All, all parents say amen. Not tricking you. That's not a trick question. That's your job. Shape them. And y'all like, oh, no. Uh, yes? Yes. Right? Like shape them, instruct them, care for them, raise them up, protect them from absolutely every dark thing this world has to offer. Can you do that? Can you protect them from every single germ, right? And every single weirdo they're going to meet. No, you can't, right? There's a seven, well, she's 18 now. There's an 18-year-old girl sitting over in D1 who's my daughter that would tell you that I don't, I wrestle with this as a father, right? Where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? When are you coming back? Where'd you go, right? Why weren't you home at 10 You were home at 10 Right? Because I struggle with that. We didn't, we didn't hover when they were young, right? But now we find ourselves hovering as they're teenagers. Like, like we're, we're wondering, like, where are they at, right? We, we, we tell them, right, things. We, we, we try to instruct them and shape them. But do you think that they are thinking that we are caring for them in that moment? Like, do you think they're really hearing that as caring? Or are we just controlling you know what I mean? Like everybody in here was a teenager at once. You get it, right? But our kids, man, they will, they will do that to us. Like if we hold our kids up on a pedestal, our fear will cost our family laughter and enjoyment because they'll never meet or exceed our expectations. Right? Like there's a lot of nights in my house that, that close down with fighting. Why? Because I've placed my kids on some pedestal, demanded some type of unrealistic expectation that they're not achieving. So my goal will be to, this is just being transparent, my goal will be to break them down and help them see it my way. I did it this morning, that 18-year-old that I talked about that's over there right now, sweet girl, a lot of y'all know her, right? She came in this morning, she's serving on the welcome table over there. I walk out, it's not how I want it set up, so I immediately begin to tear it all apart and tell her how she's doing it wrong. Would I do that to anybody else in my church? No. But by God, I did it to her not meet my expectations. Had to go back and apologize. Tell her I love her. Dad struggles with approval. And she's screwing up my approval. Right? Y'all follow me? If you chase them down, chase those kids down and don't let them out of your sight for more than five seconds, you're going to create a fear in you and in them that will be unmatched their entire life. Unmatched. These are things that I've learned. They can't make a decision as a child in a safe environment under your supervision. How do you expect them to do it at 16 when you're not around? Right? Like me and my wife get frustrated with our kids as a 16 and 18-year-old kids making these decisions. And I'm like, it's our fault. It's our fault. Right? We didn't let them fail. We were afraid of them failing because it looked bad on us. Right? So if you, if you, if you aren't there to chase and protect, how do they know their limits? Right? How do they know their limits? It's okay to let them fail. It's okay for you to fail. We're free to fail in Christ Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our hope. We have to watch our priorities and put a muzzle on our idolatry. Right? We all have awesome little idol factories in here. Say amen. You are an idol factory. You will create and build ways to worship something. Or someone, 
We have to watch that. We have to, we have to watch our priorities. We have to fight, right? We, we get things out of place, and that's, that's our idolatry. We, we need to reorder our priorities. A big one for me, another big one is provision. Like, do you believe that God will provide all your needs? Do you believe that today? Or are you fearful of that? Right? Are you afraid that, that God's not going to make it? Like, he's not going to come through. Like, like, how many of you have the story where God showed up in the 11th hour? Right? That's my life. And I just constantly redo that story over and over and over again. So consider this for a moment. Jesus in Matthew 6, taking you all back to Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? We just came out of that, that series, right? Matthew 6, Jesus asks us to consider a bird. You remember this? Like what? What do birds do with their lives? Think about a bird. I know they annoy me when they get on my deck. But what else do they do with their lives, right? They build what? They build nests. Right, they're hatched, they're born, right? They're in nests, they, 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 they fly, they, they, they build these nests, and those nests, they aren't elaborate, are they? <clears throat> they're simple. They're simple. They're made from trash, from garbage, from dead twigs and leaves and grass. They're tossed out material. They're not excessive. They don't have storage units, right? They have these little nests. They get old, and then they die. Stuff eats them. That's the life of a bird. That's it. Yet he still provides for the birds of the air. He still provides, right? So what Jesus, to me, is saying in that passage in Matthew 6 is work hard, be good stewards, and trust the Lord, right? Trust the Lord. Like, stop being fearful. Literally trust. But that's hard for me to to do, right? I say it, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because i got to make it or make it, right? And that's on me. I told you last week, we've been conditioned against unconditionality. So we don't, we, we've been told from birth that if we want something, we have to what? Earn it. Work for it, right? We have, to, we have to go get it. So we've been told that. We've been conditioned to believe that. So when, when Jesus says, stop being fearful and trust, I'm like, no, 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 no. Because this is on me. I gotta work. The reality is, in this room, we are all going to die. Right? We may die with a lot or we may die with a little, right? But here's a here's a quote: if the Lord is so detailed, detailed and careful about the lilies of the field and how they're arrayed in splendor, such splendor that they put Solomon to shame, how much more value are you to him than they are? You're more valuable to him than the lilies of the field. But yet, those lilies come back every year. How much more valuable you are to him. This all ties into what is ruling and reigning over our heart, our fears. The thing I asked you to write down earlier. Right, that thing I asked you to, I asked you to jot down. So our fight against fear is rooted in the faith that God is good and rules over our lives. Like, do you struggle to believe that? That's my fight. That that sentence is my fight. Like, my fight against fear is rooted in the faith that God is good and rules over my life. Like, I don't believe that. Like, I wrestle with that. Like, is God good? And I wrestle with that. When things happen, I ask, is God good? Is God for me? Am I, am I afraid? Why am I afraid? I, I can't trust. I can't believe. Like my life circumstances have shackled me to the lie that God isn't good and that fear reigns over my life. 
Right, we all have those circumstances. Here are a few of mine. I watch as my dad pop pills and slowly drank himself to death. That creates a little bit of fear in me. Right? Any of you that, that have struggled with, with, with addiction or with an addict in your life, you know that, that that creates fear. I watched two diseases basically eat my sister alive. She died at 27. It creates a little bit of fear in me. Knowing that I carry some of those same genes. I've been tested. I'm worried. But nothing's wrong with me, but I still am afraid. We watched as my wife's dad, health decline and cancer, literally consumed his body from the inside out. That creates fear in me. I've wrestled with how God, how this good God is for me. Anyone else? Right, like what, what, what are you doing, God? So when that happens, I turn to my own strength, right? I turn to my own strength, and I'm, I'm a feeble excuse for God. I'm a sorry excuse for a God, and the fear begins to fester, right? Because I can't make it. I can't do it on my own. But then as I lock arms and I begin to wrestle and I begin to fight with my faith and I begin to, to, to reprioritize my life and put things first, right? I heal and I begin to sing, see things more clearly. I can look back and see God's hand in it. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You come through a trial, and you look back, and you see God's hand in your life in that moment, and you realize he is good. He can save. He can rescue. He can heal. He can redeem. It may not come when I want it. It may not be what I want, but he does do those things. Amen? But here's one I can't get past. You tell me a story, or if I see a story of a church planner that fails and closes up shop, crushes me, creates fear in me. For whatever reason, that's my, that's, my, that's my thing. That's my burden, right? Creates sleepless nights, creates irrational thoughts. Like, God, you've brought us, brought us these 40 people. you got a church that sent us that loves us a ton, is there for us, can help us out, give us resources in any way we want, but I'm afraid at night, at midnight, that all 40 are just going to leave for no reason. Or is it because I'm not good enough? Or is it because I don't preach well? Or is it because uh, we don't have drums? Right? Or guitars. Or maybe we, we don't sound like the church down the street. People leave and I wrestle every time. My wife makes fun of me. It doesn't matter if I've known them five minutes or five days. <laughs> because I'm relational. I'm highly relational. And when I meet you, you're officially my best friend. Okay? So if I shook your hand this morning, you're my best friend. Just know that. Right? Like that's, I'm all in. I mean, I'm getting better to learn to lead with a broken heart. Right? But it's still hard. I still have to fight. I don't know what yours is. Go back to that paper. We got to learn to fight, right? I'm still learning how to trust the Lord with my fear. Right? We have to trust the Lord with our fear, but I'm still learning how to do that. Right, but I literally believe and tell myself that new logos, new color schemes, guitars, drums, curtains will build the church. And every single day, God tells me, no, they won't. I will. I will. Like the past two weeks, I've been fearful leaving over there. Right? What if new people come? I'm not there. Like it matters if I'm not there or not. Right? God wants me to come over here and love on you guys. 
I need to put that fear behind me and trust the Lord, right? But I still struggle. I still wrestle. And my believing that is me letting go of control. Everyone say amen. If you're a control freak in here, say amen. Better be like 92% because I know some of you, right? True freedom, like true freedom comes when we finally realize, like really realize that I have no control. Y'all ever been brought to that moment where you're just like, okay, I literally have no control over the situation. No matter what it is, kids, jobs, finances, spouses, family, you name it, right? You literally figure that out, right? And I say, and I say that and you control freaks are trying to figure out how to, how to gain control of the lack of control, right? We're all kind of a little bit nervous. We start talking about losing control. So the worst thing you and I can do is pretend that we don't have any fear, especially when we're meeting with our brothers and sisters in community and in DNA, like playing it cool, like we're not afraid of something. The struggles of this life will seem ridiculous 100 years from now. Amen? It won't matter. 10,000 years from now, it won't matter, will it? But it affects our now and our jobs and our marriages and our money. So why, let me ask you this, church, why do we live our lives waiting for the worst that could happen? Like, I, I, my wife has to call me out on that all the time. I will literally get in this rut of, well, let's just, let's just go with what the worst is. What's the worst thing that could happen? Right? Let's just, let's live in that for a little bit. Right? I'm that kind of person. Like, like sometimes I take it too far. I go from, like, the love boat to the walking dead like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything's fine. Hey. And then I'm like, get the bow and arrow. And how many shotgun shells do we have? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is getting real. And my wife is like, are you crazy? Like, y'all know my wife. The girls that are laughing, y'all know my lady. She will be like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what? I'm fine. You're not fine. Did I tell this story to y'all? I was sitting with her at lunch the other day. We were talking about something. And I mean, I was going off. And I was talking on two ends of the spectrum and agreeing with both of them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, we're sitting at, uh, what's that place called? Tomato? Tomato Head. I don't like it, but whatever. She likes it, so we go there. But anyway, <laughs> it's too granola for me, y'all. I can't do it. I'm more of a barbecue and pizza man, you know? And she's like, I need some sprouts. So anyway, we're sitting there, and we're talking. And, she, and, I'm like, and I'm like, well, I mean, we could, we could do this. Like, we, we could go here, we could do this, but, you know, also we could do this. I mean, this would be really great. And, I mean, I was just chattering just away. Just, I was not shutting up. She would, what, and I finally looked at her and said, hey, like, you're not saying anything. Like, she's like, oh, I'm just going to let you finish. You just do your thing. Because that was Love Boat and The Walking Dead. You know what I mean? Like, one scenario was, was rainbows and cookies and unicorns, and the other one was zombies, and everybody's dead. That's fear. Right? That's fear. Like, I want to stop being fearful. You might be with me. I want to stop being fearful by parenting like I need to protect my kids from every single weirdo that enters their lives. Like, I want to stop. I want to I stop being fearful about what if you or, or my people will leave one day. Like, I want to stop being fearful of that. I want to stop being fearful about whether or not God loves me. Like, do you love me? I want to stop being fearful about that. I want to lay that down. I want to stop being fearful about what I'm going to be fearful about. Like, I want to stop being afraid about what I'm afraid of. 
Matthew 6, Jesus lands that plane by giving us permission to deal with today's fears. You remember that? There's enough fear for, like, anxiety for tomorrow. Like, worry about today, right? And what he says is, is give it to the Lord. We have to give it to the Lord. There is no peace for you if you can't say and believe that the Lord is good, even in the trial. Right, you have to believe that this will remain as long as you continue to believe that he isn't good and isn't for you, regardless of the circumstance. Regardless. He is good. He is for you. Tell the Lord that you're fearful. When you go back there to those tables and you take communion today, tell the Lord that you're afraid. Guess what? He already knows you're afraid. Confess and repent of your disbelief. Like, I believe, but help me with my own belief. Right? Ask him to give you that trust, to, to help you with that trust, to help you with that b- belief. Today, not tomorrow. Today. What are you afraid of today? I ask you to write it down. Deal with that today. Because tomorrow has its own fear. Deal with it today. We got to have faithfulness, though. Flip over to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Verse 22 and 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He provides it for you every day. His mercies are new every day. Believe that today. Flip over to 1 John. Right, let's go 1 John 1. 1 John 1, verse 6. Says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Like me walking in fear and anxiety and worry about things I can't control with my kids, with my finances, with my job, my church, my wife, that's walking in darkness. That's not trusting the Lord. That's not trusting the Lord. We lie and do not practice the truth. Can we be honest this morning about what is ruling and reigning over our hearts and give it to God? Nothing yields itself without a fight. So I'm asking you, church, to fight. Not by your own strength, but by Jesus' strength. Not by your words, but by God's word. Can you do that? Let's stand. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we love you, God. We, we're so weak. God, we have, God, we have, no, we have no idea, God, of of what will come tomorrow, but we worry about tomorrow. We, we continually fret about things we cannot change, things we cannot control, God, things that are, that are out of our wheelhouse. God, we need to learn to give those to you, but we need to, we need to believe in your word. We need to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, that is for us today, tomorrow, and the future. God, that we rest in your great love, that we rest, God, in the, in the idea God, that your saving grace and your mercies are new every single morning. And we need to lament. Whatever we need to do today, we need to give it over to you. We need to to trust. 
And so God, I ask that you give us the strength to trust, that we would believe in you, God, that we would stand on your promises, God, that we would not look to other things, look to ourselves to, to pull ourselves out of, a, out of a pit, God, that we would, we would be for you, we would be for your church, we would be for each other, we would be for your kingdom. We would pray and believe, God, that you are, you are, we are ambassadors of your kingdom and we are, we, are, we are vessels that you use, God, to build your kingdom. So, God, I ask today that we would believe it. God, that we would, we would repent where we need to repent and that we would, we would confess where we need to confess, God, and we would love each other, God, like you love us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, reeking of sin, and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request. Please remember me. And he assures him, you bet. You bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father, fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side, not for heaven's sake, but for our sake, yours and mine. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, it's free, and as such will always be a banana pill for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for, those grown up, for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient, even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we love you. And it's only by your grace that we're here today. It's only by your grace that we, God, that we even know that we belong to a greater family. It's only by your grace that we that we can walk out of here today free from a shame that is plaguing most of us, if not all of us. God, my prayer today is that we would lay our shame down this morning, that we would lay our shame-filled hearts at your feet. When we take communion this morning, God, I pray that we would, we would spend time, God, remembering the grace that was offered, remembering the sacrifice of your son, God, remembering that vulgar, scandalous grace that you, you endured, God, on our behalf, the pain that you endured on our behalf, God, that we would remember that. And we can walk out of here, God, not with shame-filled hearts, but grace-filled hearts, by your power and your mercy. God, it's only by those things that we, that we even know, that we even know, God, how to live and how to walk by faith. And so, God, I plead this morning, is we are a people gathered here to worship you. God, that it's not about this building, it's not about the lights, it's not about the screen. God, it's about our relationship with you. Us gathering as corporate believers and worshiping together, celebrating your son Jesus, praising the Father, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, God, this morning. I pray we are convicted, God, this morning, that you bring conviction upon us, God, that we would repent where we have failed, we would, we would reconcile relationships that we've broken, 
God, and that we would, we, would, we would mend our hearts. You would mend our hearts this morning as we turn to you, God, our rescuer and our redeemer. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.